0: Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we desire to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, Lead Pastor Darrell Anderson starts a new series, titled Checkbox, with part one, Check Joy. Some things we know naturally go together, like Batman and Robin. James, however, combines two things that do not seem like they would or should go together, but when they are combined, it works. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. All right, this morning we're starting a new series from James chapter one. And it's the series with no name. Doesn't have a name, just has an icon, just has a graphic. And it's a checked box. Now there's several reasons why you would put a check in a box. One reason is because there's something that you have. Let's say you go to a new doctor and they give you that medical survey that you have to fill out. And part of that has this list of just tons of illnesses and diseases and symptoms and et cetera. And it says, check every box that applies. And so if you have that issue, you check the box. So it represents something that you have. But it can also represent something that you want or need. Now, this is old school, but way back in the day, I was a member of a record um, Thing. I don't even know what it's called anymore, but but you'd get this thing in the mail and you could order for a real cheap rate these, these CDs. And so you'd have all these CDs listed and it would say, check the ones you want. And so you would just check if you wanted that one. So the checked box represents either something that you have or something that you want or need. And that's going to be the idea of what we're talking about this morning in this series from James chapter one. In the book of James, James does not try to 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 prove that Jesus exists. He doesn't prove the existence of God. He doesn't even really uh, go into any deep theological doctrines like Paul does. Rather, James is all about practical application. It's what I call Christianity with tennis shoes. It's walking the pavement. It's where the rubber meets the road, if you will, that we're living out in very practical ways what we need or what we have. So he deals with qualities and characteristics that we need. And so we're going to walk through a few of these, and I'm just going to ask you to check the box. Is this something that you have? If it's not something that you have, is it something that you want? Uh, because definitely, because it's in James, it's something that we need. So we're going to walk through that a little bit. Let me lay some context here, verse 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered. Among the nations, the writer of James is James. Most people think it's the half brother of Jesus. There are four brothers of Jesus that are mentioned in Scripture, and James is one of those. James became uh, one of the major leaders in the church at Jerusalem, but in John chapter seven, uh, it gives us indication that he had a really hard time believing that his half brother Jesus was the Son of God. It was the Messiah. If you just kind of put yourself in his situation. You could kind of understand that. You know, if your older sibling came to you and said, hey, I'm going to save the world. (laughs) You know, what's your reaction? But on the other hand, Jesus is perfect. He was even perfect as a child. Could you imagine living with a perfect older sibling? Kind of the pressure. So you can understand some of the family dynamic that's going on. So obviously he had a hard time understanding this. But he came to faith. He believed after the resurrection, when Jesus appeared to him, when he appeared to the others, And obviously, that would be a catalyst that if you saw your half-brother die on a cross and now you see him alive, obviously, that's going to create something. So that's when he really becomes a believer in faith in in Christ. If you remember Acts chapter 8, there was the stoning of Stephen. And it said, because of the stoning, a persecution had broken out in the church. And so everyone but the apostles were scattered all throughout. So we see here a reference in James chapter one that this is to the tribes. This is to those scattered among the nations. So this tells us, one, that this book was written sometime after that event. But number two, he's he's targeting all these that have been scattered throughout all the nations. But in application, it applies to us as well. I've got a few items here that I wanna, wanna show you as we go forward. And these are all things that you would normally associate as being together. You you just know they work together. For example, peanut butter and jelly. They just go together. They're inseparable, kind of. But there's one that I like a lot better. Peanut butter and chocolate. Now we're talking. Got a little dessert for today. Now my wife would differ though. For her, She's going to say the perfect combination is chips and salsa. I'm sweet, she's salty. That's just the way it goes. These are things that work together. These are all food items. You could, you could, you could like Batman and Robin. I mean, there's just things that you associate. These automatically go together. But there are other things that don't go together. You don't think. You would not normally put them together. But when you do put them together, it works like urban farmhouse. design. Is it urban or is it farmhouse? Well, yeah, it's, it's combined. So when you put it together, you don't think, ah, but it works when you, when you do it. There are other things like gray and beige. You wouldn't think that would go together, but it does. Now there's a color called grayish. <laughs> what about pop country? Or as some say, country pop. Is it country or is it pop? Well, you put them together and it works, unless you're a hardcore country dude and then it doesn't work. (laughs) But there are those things that you don't think fit, but they actually do when you put them together. Well, this is what James does here. The first thing we're going to look at today is James puts two things together that you would not normally think work. But when you put them together, they actually work. And it is joy and trials, So this morning, we're really talking about joy. That's the box we want to check. But it's in the context of this combination of joy and trials and how they are interwoven and connected together. Let's look at verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So it tells us to consider it Pure joy. This word consider means to count. It's an imperative in the Greek. It means do it right now. It's it's urgent and and settle it once and for all. Choose this. So consider it pure joy. Pure means unmixed. So here we're talking about consider it simply joy. Don't mix joy with anything else. Don't mix your joy with anger or pain or fear or bitterness. Consider it pure joy. Joy. Now here, joy doesn't mean pleasure. It doesn't mean happiness, which is dependent a lot of times on circumstances or emotions. So he's not saying receive pleasure. He's not saying be happy. What he's saying is rejoice. This word is a word of rejoicing. It's a word of celebration. It's like Philippians 4:4 that says, rejoice in the Lord always. So he's saying here, when he says consider it pure joy, he's saying, choose to rejoice period. Don't be bitter. Don't be angry. Don't be fearful. Choose to rejoice, period. And here's three questions I want to address in this context. Consider it pure joy. First question is, when? When do we consider it pure joy? He tells us in verse 2, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's when. The word face means to fall among or to fall into. The same word is used in Luke 10, if you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, when it says he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho and he falls into the hands of robbers. It's really the same word. It means to be surrounded by or to be numerous. It means to be everywhere. So he says, whenever you're surrounded by many kinds of trials. In other words, when we talk about trials, we're talking about there can be all kinds of trials. It can be persecution, It can be religious persecution, it can be sickness, it can be health issues, it can be poverty, financial issues, it can be calamity, it can be affliction, it can be mistreatment. I mean, it can be on and on and on. So all kinds of trials that we're going to face, and that's what he's talking about. So he's saying, when you are surrounded by trials, when the trials in your life are numerous, they are everywhere, choose to rejoice Don't fear. Don't become bitter. Don't complain. Don't blame God. Don't give up on your faith. Don't give up on what God's doing. Instead, choose to rejoice. But then that brings us to the second question, and that's why. Why should we do that? Why does he put these together with trials? We tell this in verse 3 and 4. Let's look in verse 3. He just said, "Consider it pure joy when you face trials." Verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, why should we consider it pure joy when we face these trials? It's because, short answer, it's because of the reality of, and the reason for, and the result from trials. It's all connected to trials. So here's the reality of trials. One, trials are unavoidable. They're completely unavoidable. It's like road construction. I told you a little earlier that I did my niece's wedding this past weekend. What I didn't tell you is the wedding was in Rigby, Idaho. And so we chose to drive to Rigby, Idaho. We'd never been in that part of the country, so we wanted to see all that. So we drove round trips over 2,100 miles. So it was a long trip. Going up, we went through, you know, Colorado and Denver and Fort Collins up to Wyoming, and we cut across Wyoming um, to, um, I mean, Montana. What what is it? It's Wyoming. Yeah, I'm confused. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm still back there. Then through the mountains, into Idaho. We were gonna come back that way, but this big snowstorm was gonna hit. So we rerouted our plan, so coming back, we came through Idaho and Utah and New Mexico and kind of right, so we just did a big old kind of loop. But there was construction everywhere, going and coming. I don't know, 12 or 13 or 14, 15 different places, there's some type of road construction. So there's no way we could avoid the road construction. The only choice we had was, how do we respond to the road construction? Now sometimes I responded very well, Sometimes not so well. But that's the way trials are. Trials are unavoidable. We don't get to choose the trials. We don't even get to choose when the trials come. All we can choose is how we respond to the trials. And if we're honest, sometimes we respond well and sometimes we don't. But also, remember, the reality of trials is that trials pave the way. They're not in the way. We tend to think, that trials are in the way. In other words, we're, we're driving, we're cruising with God, everything is good, everything is smooth, we're experiencing what we believe, favor of God, the blessing of God, everything is great, and all of a sudden, boom, this trial comes and just messes everything up. It's kind of like road construction. You know, we're driving down the road, some of those states, it's 80 mile an hour speed limit, so you're able just to kind of fly down the road and all of a sudden you hit construction, now you're down to 25. seems like that just messes everything up. But the reality is the road construction is actually paving the way to make the roads better. Now, it's an issue immediately you have to deal with, but the long term is that it's going to make all of those highways much better. And that's the way it is with trials. We tend to think sometimes that trials keep me from experiencing what God has for me. But in reality, trials are enabling me to experience what God has for me. Trials are not in the way of God working in me. They are paving the way of God working for me. Over the years, Denise and I, we faced many trials, some that we would consider small, short-term, all the way to really big, long-term, long-lasting kind of trials. As all of you could, if we could give testimony, we could all raise our hands and confess to that. But I can honestly say with complete integrity that the trials that we've gone through have actually been the catalyst of helping me experience God in ways that I would never experience God otherwise. It's actually through those trials that God became more vivid and more clear and more powerful in my life than any other way. It's actually through those trials where I've experienced in a deeper way His power, His grace, His love his mercy, his comfort, everything about him, So much so that had I not gone through those trials, I would not have a type of relationship with Christ that I have right now. Those trials did not get in my way. They did not keep me from experiencing God. Those trials enabled me and empowered me to actually experience God. It was through those events that God made his presence and his power and his grace more real and more vivid than any other time. We have to remember that our goal is not to be happy. Our goal is to know Christ. Our goal is to walk with Christ. Our goal is to become like Christ. Our goal is to share Christ. Our goal is all around being used by Christ. And trials help accomplish that. So that's the reality of trials, but here's the reason for the trials. It tells us in verse 3. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. In other words, the trials are actually going to produce the endurance that we need to be able to rejoice in the midst of those trials. It's kind of like working out. It's kind of like training for marathons. Some of you run marathons. You're stupid, but that's okay. You're cool. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I don't know why anybody (laughs) runs that far. Josh, but it's like training. It's like working out. The strain is what produces the strength. Let's say you want to start doing push-ups. You've never done push-ups, so you start doing push-ups, and you can't even do 20. But you keep working, and you keep growing, and you keep straining, and pretty soon you're able to do 40, and then 60, and you're up to 100, and pretty soon, after a period of time, you're able to do 100 push-ups as easily as it, you did 20 back in the day. That's that's endurance. That's strength. That's the perseverance That. It goes on. In other words, the, the, the more you work, you're getting stronger. You're able to do more things. This is the, the dynamic of trials. This is part of what's happening when we go through trials, it's, it's developing perseverance in us, it's developing endurance in us. It's making us stronger. So when we go through certain trials, now we're stronger. Now we're more able to face the next trial coming our way. We're going to have the strength to endure and in the midst of that trial, we're going to become stronger in that trial and it's going to prepare us for the next trial. And each trial just makes us stronger and gives us more ability to persevere. That's why we can maintain our joy because it's producing something in us that is changing us, which leads us to the result from trial, which we find out in verse 4, it says, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The result of these trials is maturity. It's spiritual maturity. It's so that you're not lacking in anything. There's no deficiencies in your walk and in your relationship with Christ. These trials are all about strengthening you and making you more into what Christ is calling you to be. Verse 12 here says it a little bit differently. It says, "Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him." He says, "Blessed are those. That means to be fortunate or to be in a position of favor. He doesn't say blessed are those that encounter trials. He says, Blessed are those who persevere under trial. It's your perseverance that brings you through the trial more refined, more purified, stronger, more mature, more sure of your faith, in closer relationship with God. Therefore, rejoice. That's why we can rejoice. That's why we can consider it. Pure joy, as one translator translates it, he says, deem it nothing but an occasion for joy. <laughs> That's a great phrase. When we go through a trial, when we experience the trial, we should deem it nothing more than this is an occasion to rejoice. It's what Paul says. They fit together like peanut butter and chocolate. <laughs> Here's the third Question, that's how can I consider it pure joy? We know why we should, but how can we? How can we really do that? Remember, this is practical. This is Christianity with tennis shoes on. This is really okay. Tomorrow, when I face a huge trial, how am I going to rejoice in the midst of that? How do we do that? Let me give you four helps, four concepts, four things to remember that might help you rejoice when you face your trials. Here's the first one. Remember that joy comes from God. Joy comes from God. Nehemiah 10:8 says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Now that says a lot of things we won't get into, but one thing it says is it's of the Lord. Joy comes from God. Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. It's given to us by the Spirit. When we receive Christ, we have that joy that's given by the Spirit of God. 1 Thessalonians 1.6, when Paul's speaking to the believers there, he says, In spite of severe suffering, which is another way of saying facing trials of many kinds, you welcome the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. What that means is we don't muster up joy. We don't create joy. We can't manipulate joy. We can't manufacture joy in its purest sense. Joy comes from your intimate connection with God. Joy comes from your time spent with the Father. That's why Psalm 16:11 says, "You will fill me with joy in your presence." It's when we are bathed in the presence of God that that joy becomes to be manifest in us. The closer you walk with God, the more intimate relationship you have with Christ, the more committed you are to following Christ, the more yielded you are and more in step you are with the Holy Spirit, the more time you spend in the presence of the Father with Him, the more this joy is manifest in you. You cannot separate yourself from the presence of the Father and try to create joy. (laughs) It will not happen. The only way that joy is manifest in you is through the presence of God because the joy comes from him. Now, we can squelch that joy. We can sometimes try to replace that joy with other stuff. But he will bathe us in that joy in his presence. Here's the second thing to remember. That's that joy can't be taken. Your joy cannot be stolen, cannot be taken. Think about that for a moment. We sometimes said, well, man, that thing that happened to me, it just stole my joy. No, it didn't. <laughs> Nobody can steal your joy. I don't know if any of your dads or granddads did this kind of thing, but you know, some dads do this with like, their kids or grandkids. They'll have something really special in their hand. Maybe it's a silver dollar or you know, it's something, and they'll put it down and say, hey, if you, can, if you can open my hand and get this, you can have what's in it. Of course, that little kid's in there trying to open it up. You know, of course, they're not, they're, they're not strong enough. They can't open it, so out of love, you know, finally the, the dad will just kind of open the hand and so you get it. The only way that that thing was taken was because it was opened and released and given. The only way you can lose your joy is to give it away. Because you are firmly in God's hands. There's no one and nothing strong enough to steal your joy. No one can steal your joy. The only way you can lose your joy is if you give it up. That's why James ties in joy and trials together. Because typically, it's in trials that we are giving up our joy. See, joy is easy when life's easy. Joy is easy when everything's copacetic, when everything is smooth sailing, when everything is, as they say, hunky-dory. But it's it's when the trials come that for some reason we begin to give our joy away. James says, don't do that because you can maintain joy because there's nothing that will take it. Just keep it and hang on to it, even in the midst of trials. Here's the third. Joy sees the big picture. Joy sees the big picture. That's why you maintain joy. Hebrews 10.34 says, You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. What's going on is some major persecution because they're believers. They are having their material things taken from them. They are confiscating their property. And it says, you joyfully accepted that. Why? Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. They maintained joy while losing all of their material goods because they knew they had something much better than that, much more long-lasting, something permanent. James 1.12 calls it the crown of life that we have. Even in the midst of trials, God is still good if we can see the big picture. Trials tend to make or tend to give us tunnel vision where all we can see is the trial. And we can't see all of the good that God's doing in us and around us and for us. Trials also make us, is it nearsighted? All you see is near. And you lose sight of the future and the eternal. But joy sees the big picture. You see, joy is connected to our faith. And faith knows that there is a big picture, that God has painted this beautiful big picture. Faith doesn't have to know what the big picture looks like. That's why it's faith. But faith says it's good. And so faith is Combined with our joy, so joy is able to see the big picture. So when we're in the midst of our trials, if we can see the big picture of what God is doing all around us and what God is going to do for us in all of eternity, that allows us to maintain the joy in the midst of the trial because we can see the big picture. And here's the final one. Joy ultimately comes from walking in God's will. Joy ultimately comes as we are surrendered and walking in God's will and plan and desire for us. When I truly know, when I'm truly doing what God's called me to do, and I'm seeking to be faithful to walk in that, that's when joy ultimately comes. Which means when I'm way out of step with God, when I'm refusing to be in the will of God, When I'm refusing to do what God's called me to do, that joy is going to begin to dissipate and wane and slip away. Joy ultimately comes when I'm walking in step with what God called me to do. Not perfection, but my heart's desire is to be in the will of God. There's a great story in Acts chapter 5. I share it often because it's such an intriguing story to me. But in that story... The, the disciples at that point, or apostles, are sharing Jesus in the city, and the Sanhedrin doesn't like it, so they come and they arrest them. Then they put them in prison. While they're in prison, the angel of the Lord comes, rescues them, frees them from prison, puts them back out in the city, and basically says, keep preaching Jesus. So they start preaching Jesus again. Well, the Sanhedrin hears about it again. So they come get them again. This time they want to kill them. But they don't, but they end up beating them, scourging them, whipping them, and says, don't preach Jesus anymore. So they're released, and they go right back out to the same place, sharing Christ again. And in verse 41, it says that the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. In other words, they considered it pure joy. They left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. (laughs) They were so fired up that God counted them worthy. They are considering that major trial of imprisonment and being beaten and scourged. They rejoiced in the midst of that trial. And it's because that they were doing exactly what God had called them to do. They were in the step of God. They were in the will of God. They were in the plan of God, the purpose of God. And because of that, joy just exuded out of them. They rejoiced because of their desire to follow God. In their mind, the trial was a reward, not a consequence. In their mind, the trial was something to be celebrated, not dreaded. And that's what happens. We have to remember that joy is all about what's going on internally, not externally. If everything is going good internally, my walk with Christ, it doesn't matter what's going on out here. I can maintain joy. The opposite is true. If what's going on internally is bad and there's no connection with God the Father, it doesn't matter how good external is, there's not going to be joy because joy is all about what's going on in here because joy comes from God, comes from my connection So my question this morning is, I hope you have either checked the box or you're willing to check the box to say, I don't have that joy, but man, I want it, and I know I need it. My prayer is that we would consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. Because to tell you the truth, joy and trials, they go to bed. They go together better than any of these. So when you face your next trial, choose joy and see what God does. Would you pray with me? With your heads bowed, I want to just ask a question. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to call anybody out or mention your name. But, but maybe you're here this morning and you're just saying, man, I am going through a trial. I'm going through some of these trials. And and I just, want, I, I just want to be prayed for. I want to be prayed over. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to call your name. But if that's you, if you just lift your hand and say, man, I'm going through a trial. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. I don't want to call anybody out. But I am going to ask something just because I feel like I need to. If nobody stands, that's okay. Many people, raise your hands. I would really like for people to pray over you. If you're willing, if you raise your hand, if you're willing, would you be willing just to stand? So we can gather around you and pray for you. Anybody willing to do that? You say, man, thank you. Thank you. God bless you guys. Amen. God, I want everybody to see we've got some people standing. If you would just turn around and if you're semi-close to them, would you get up? Would you lay hands on them? Would you just begin to pray for them? Pray over them. It doesn't have to be one at a time. Just everybody at once. Just pray for them, pray over them. You don't have to share your trial, okay? God knows, but we wanna lift you up. We wanna pray for you and pray over you in these trials. So just take a moment, let's pray. Father, we're coming together together as one voice just to lift these brothers and sisters up. Father, thank you for their boldness and willingness to say, hey man, pray for me. Father, that's what we're here for. We're here for one another. To love one another. So Father, we want to lift these up. Pray that you would minister to them. Father, whatever their trial is, yes, we do want resolution and resolve to those trials. Father pray that your divine work would 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 work through them, but Father right now we're praying for joy. Father even in the midst of their trials, even before the issue is resolved, Father may you exude joy from their spirit. Minister to them, comfort them, strengthen them. Father help them see you fresh way. Father, we're praying that in the midst of the trial and through the trial, that when they come out the other end, they're going to see your glory and power and presence and comfort and grace in ways they've never seen it before. So we lift them up to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We're going to continue in the spirit of worship by observing the Lord's Supper don't have to be a member to participate if you know christ as your savior then you can participate as the elements are passed just grab them and we'll pass it on down and we'll partake together i want you to meditate on this verse as you're being served hebrews 12 2 says let us fix our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of god God. We even see joy and trial in the life of Jesus being connected. Meditate on that verse and the passage as you're being served and then we'll observe and partake together. took the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Take and do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you. Take and do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we thank you for the joy set before you. You endured the cross. You scorned its shame. Father, now you sit at the right hand of the Father. Because of your sacrifice, we're redeemed. And we thank you. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We truly hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org.